Well, howdy, y'all. This is Market Explainer, the business news podcast. We're the largest in the universe. We're the fastest growing. Still definitely better than group chat, uh, group chat pod. Wait a minute. The largest? Is that a fat joke? Are we starting it out with a fat joke? Plus, I don't think it's a fat joke. I think it's, are a, you, it's a factual since, statement about our size. Since the rebranding, um, yeah. you say howdy at the beginning of every... Correct. Howdy. Like, uh, hey, whatever. Embrace We it. got a cowboy hat in our logo. So, okay. There you go. Um, like I was trying to say before I was rudely interrupted by my yeah. junior assistant... The traveling co-host, the big man, that we are still better than group chat podcast, and I currently am working on signed the contract, Anand. We're working on a boxing match. Um, uh, <laughs> it better I last mean, like ninety seconds, right? I'm There's, fighting all three of them at the same time, man. All three of them at the same time. I used to do taekwondo. Nice. Um, before we get rolling, I want to tell you about our Patreon. Our Patreon's actually up and running. Mm-hmm. At our most exclusive tier, you got to call us dirty names. At our most popular <laughs> tier, you got to join our board of directors. Quotes. A board of directors where you get right. to call Danny names. That's, um, uh, that's... We should be able to record that live. Like, I don't yeah. know. That should be a definitely a live. We'll set a time. For just sixty straight minutes, maybe we won't. Yeah. Maybe we'll start out with five, and, just to give you and some. You can, you know, we'll we'll do it on um we'll do it on Clubhouse. <laughs> Be like a dunking booth, you know what I mean? Like just. Hey, listen. I always t- like I've always said, you know, we're all just Mary Magdalene. You pay me enough money, a lot of stuff you can get. So. <laughs> um. All right. Yeah. 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 So, what are we talking about today, Dan? This first today hometown story hometown it guy. is a hometown story um everyone is is discussing tip of their tongues cloud infrastructure the growth of cloud computing and yes. michael dell austin's very own his brother <laughs> is a, is an eye surgeon who almost gave me eye surgery really um hmm. yeah he's in south austin um i I didn't go there. I ended up going somewhere else. I still like, didn't friend. know that his brother was a nicer. I knew he had family and brothers and sisters, but they're 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 a hometown crew. Um, so a few years ago, I think it's 2013 or 14. Michael Dell loaded up as much leverage as he could get his hands on. Well, hold on, took, hold on, back up a little Dell bit private. before we get into that part. We chose to do this because of an article yes. that came out in Fortune, right? Forbes. I'm sorry, Forbes, about Michael Dell. And the reason I say back up a little bit is because in this article, one of my favorite things about the article is like most interviews, they sit down and they kind of, they talk about not that first. They talk about the person. And like the very first thing, obviously, with where we are in the world in August and uh, that uh, Branson and Jeff Bezos just shot themselves into orbit and whatever, they kind of asked Michael Dell about it because Michael Dell, people don't realize, is part of that club without right. being as in out club. in the world, right, as everybody yeah. else. Uh, no pun intended. But his first thing is he takes a shot at Jeff Bezos like, no, I'm perfectly happy staying on Earth versus other Slightly people. above Earth? Like, for, like, for $3 billion or whatever it costs? Yeah, just, just out of nowhere, you know what I mean? Like, so, basically, the subject for this first segment is we're really just talking about how Michael Dell turned not only his personal fortune in 10x that in a matter of a few years, 
right? It's easy to go from well, four to four. Well, not once, but twice. I mean, Correct. he did this. If you don't know Michael Dell's story, and if you don't mind me really quickly telling it before we Please get into do. what, this is Explain actually it. his yeah. second time of what we talk about on this show all the time, about innovation, pivoting, understanding timing, and that kind of stuff. Michael Dell went to University of Texas in Austin, right? Correct. Smart kid, not not uh, not an Elon Musk, not a Bill Gates, so not a geek, not a nerd, right. not a IQ out of, you know what I mean, this planet. He was really good, though, for whatever reason. This is one of those kids like a, um, who's the guy that wrote Hustler. Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Robert Kiyosaki. Re- ro- like, just at a very young age was able to identify, here's something that I can do to make money, right? Right. So when I, I didn't know all this stuff about Michael Dell until I read the article. And after reading the article, my first instinct was to say, oh, this guy's more of a hustler than he is. 100%. Like a computer guy, right? It, it, computers were just a byproduct of what he figured out, right? And if you go and you read the story, it tells the story about, you know, essentially him selling computer components in at University of Texas here in Austin. Um, and once that made something like, I don't know, a, a couple million dollars in one, you know what I mean, quarter I or something in, like that. I think in one month he made 80 grand and that's when he dropped out. And he was, and he was like, you know, why am I going to go get a whatever degree here at University, you know, University of Texas if I can just make 80 grand a month, right, selling computer parts. And then he, you know, lit off on his dream to sell, you know, put the computers together for the world. Um but, I mean, this guy, when you say hustle, this guy was taking over-the-phone orders, mail, fill out this form and mail it to me orders, building the computers himself, and then mailing them the computers to them. Like, this is what the guy was doing. And he, then all of a sudden, he went from $80,000 a month to a couple of million dollars a year, right. you know, and so on and he, so forth. He pioneered that entire business model right well absolutely so many companies have and god bless them so many companies came after him and said we can do that right um because he understood i i think like i don't don't know what his psychology was back then or strategy was back then but it probably was uh i'm not going to go buy a bunch of components if i don't know what the market wants. i'll just ask them what they want novel concept this is a lot of people and and again living in austin the way i do and i actually uh tempted dell 20 years ago, um, part-time because they paid a crap load of money for salespeople. If you hit your bonuses, you could make a junk ton of money. And I did consistently because I knew about, you know, technology and blah, blah, blah. Point is... Back then. Uh, the point is, is is he gets a lot of crap because of this business model. Look, his business model is the opposite of a lot of business mo- He is very shrewd businessman. This right. guy knows his money it causes him to be portrayed on and off throughout the years as a kind of a heartless businessman, right? Uh, a shrewd businessman. Which, which I love. Um, which I appreciate. His business model, like you said, of non-inventory to build these computers and stuff like that. He pushed this off on his suppliers, and he's put suppliers out of business on how much he leverages against his suppliers to get a better deal, to improve profit margins. When I worked there, one of the craziest things you could see, and this is how shrewd he is, he actually has, and I'm sure they still use this type of software today, 
when you call Dell, whether it's on the business side or the personal side, that person talking to you, every component that goes in a computer has a price that that salesperson can see plus or minus. Right. Yeah. Right. So not only on your side, but their bonus side. Oh. Does that make sense? Right, so not right. only is this making Dell a profit of $20, but what that profit then turns into your bonus, what you I get see. credit for. So when you're building a computer and you know a lot about computers and, you go, and you're talking to somebody and you say, hey, you really need to upgrade your RAM because you're telling me you're going to be editing photos or whatever, they – Going from five twelve to this, and yeah, you, you see what I'm saying. You're able right. to like push people in certain directions. Where, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like you know, Dell could have easily been BlackBerry, Palm, Compaq. Absolutely, I mean, they could have easily fell by the wayside and not mattered any, not mattered going forward. But Michael, that's what everybody thought was gonna happen. By the way, in right. the late 2000s. A lot of people thought Dell, and that's where we come to this article and what they're right. referring to, is mm -hmm. in the late 2000s, everybody thought Dell was going to die right. because pus computers were coming way down in price because right. HP, Gateway, all these other people right. had pushed into the marketplace. And pushed right? the prices so low. And, and technology as a whole was coming down, though, building and the then, computer components and all that right. stuff. Right, and then you know there was a huge shift to what happened where – um, the mobile market where people started using iPhones, which yep. for a lot of people was their gateway to starting to use Apple products. And people started craving premium technology because the, the kind of appliance aspect of technology because, uh, you know, tech, tech was just a side thing for the majority of people's lives until very recently in human history was tech. This is how we exist, right? We exist in our machines. Well, the first iPhone didn't come out until, what, 2007? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, so you figure, like you just said, and then you liken that to it. computers like Dell, HP, Gateway, these big manufacturers of computers were selling technology that was years old. Right, because they they weren't they weren't giving you you weren't and, calling up Dell and buying the processor that was just created six months ago like not. that was that, of course not it was inexpensive it was years old technology right. but then iPhones came out and more and more of the phones came out and the computer systems are what chipset has come out right. in the last year and I think what happened is for a lot of people Apple just felt like they were from the future now if you walk into an Apple store and like they're a commodity now. If you, you know, like I use Windows and Android, Apple feels ancient. It feels old because it's all just, it's it's warmed over. But well, reality, Mac, that's the only way Mac survived. Honestly, yeah. this is go back and look at iPhone, Mac, Apple history. The Mac iPad only was survived in higher education. If you went to if you went to at school higher education for engineering or right. CAD design whatever you were required to buy a Mac right. because Dell your, your your normal right Windows programming didn't run what they needed it to do yeah, right and now that's not true because I know a lot of people in all sorts of graphic like graphical inner you know whether whether it's CAD. Um, I do graphic design work. Mm -hmm. I have all. I have a handful of different softwares. I prefer. I and I started on a Mac when I got into graphic design. That was one of the few people. Like 2010, I was like, I'm not using this garbage anymore. I want faster processors. 
yeah. I want customization. So I went back to P. But what this what the story is about is how this guy turned this thing around and he foresaw the rise in cloud computing and how AI and how you know driverless cars, how that technology was mm-hmm. so much people love to talk about cloud they say Google, Microsoft, and Amazon. But Dell currently is the mm-hmm. Dell EMC and VMware, which is owned by Dell, which is going to be spun off into a public company soon. Later, it is. Which um, Dell Technologies is not only Dell Computers, is Dell Technologies. Um, they, they have the market share. They're not a joke. Well, and data storage, right? Yeah. So he's leading it in both. He recognized... Several years ago, about nine years ago, everybody thought he was crazy, right? Michael Dell went public, took Dell public in the mid-2000s, right? Yeah. The company started, he lost what he, he lost controlling interest in the company right. when he went public. Of course, yeah. I think based on that controlling interest, at least here in Austin at the time, the idea was Michael Dell built a company and he did what everybody that does a build a company do. They sold out the majority yeah. stake and then yeah. they're just writing it out, right? I'm a rich person writing it out. Yeah. The story went, at least here in Austin, is that when the company started tanking, he didn't like the fact that his name was on the box right. and it started failing and he couldn't deal with that failure. Right. So he went around, he turned around and said, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Here's another opportunity. Right. I need to buy back my company. Right. I need to make it private so that I can make the decisions that I need to make to turn this thing around. To turn this thing around, and that's exactly what he did. And he went to Silver Lake Partners, and they like, he initially met with a partner from Silver Lake. Um, they were just talking about something random, and then the guy's like, "Listen, I think you should take Dell private again." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm on board." And it was. As simple as that. They had a conversation about taking Dell private, and they did it. If you and, look at this timeline, it's yeah. much like, again, Robert Kiyosaki and a lot of these other billionaires. If you look at this timeline, you'll find out that one thing I, I like about certain books, especially self-help books and business or whatever, right. you learn that a lot of these really, really rich people, a lot of these really big money-making people right. gained that money, that opportunity right. through conversations, right? Yeah. So this it's guy, networking. Michael it's, Dell... You, just, he, you know a guy somewhere and yeah. There was a whole bunch of people during the process of these right. meetings that could have right. told Michael Dell no because they didn't know who he was or didn't know who he was whatever. working with or whatever. He goes in and, and just pitches this, hey, I want to take this public company private, and then I want to leverage myself to the hill buying another company because right. I think it's going to be the future. Most and people would go, you're stupid. You're right. insane. You're Computers your- are a dying market, right? Right. And because it's Michael Dell and he's got his southern accent and he's right. a nice guy and blah, 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 blah. Just charmed him into it. Just charmed him into it. It's just I a mean, bunch of conversations. J.P. Morgan put up a lot of the money. So Jamie Dimon, right? Jamie Dimon is yep. nobody's slouch, right? Um, so what I, what I love about this particular story is that they bought EMC, which is now Dell EMC, which owned a mm-hmm. huge stake of VMware, which, again, they're spinning that off. So when it comes to cloud computing and all of the infrastructure that goes along with it, they're vertically integrated. Right. They, they, the whole thing is in-house. So 
And I am a guy who, like, I use a PC. I don't have a Dell right now. But the next laptop I buy will probably be a Dell because that's the only company I can go to because they actually sell ad-grade computers, laptops, workstations that you can stick huge processors and RAM into. They're the only people that do it. So he took, you know, he kind of really just, not only did he turn the company around, he pivoted their their capital, their their entire business model, right? They went from me Dell Computers mm-hmm. to Dell Technologies. We've talked about on this show before how the good people over at Amazon, all of their money is made from AWS, right? Right, it's right, right. Their profits, over yes. a billion 100%. dollars in profit a year. It's from AWS. So similarly, Dell understood that this was the scalable moment for that technology or for that, like that was the place to be. He foresaw that in a way that I don't think a lot of other, I don't think he gets credit for. No, no, well, because it's all, everybody's talking about Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all these changes or whatever. Here's right. a guy that literally sat down in this interview and said it didn't feel like a risk to him. This right. guy leveraged everything he had to buy back his company, including yeah, 70, going and getting billions. $70 billion, by the way, is what And then turns around like level. two years later and right. goes and gets to another $67 billion to right. buy EMC because here's what he knew. He, and right. and he he I, I believe he really thought this and to me this is what I got out of the interview. Right. He didn't think it was risky. In right. his mind, that there, there are different kind of debts in the world, right? right. And a lot of people it, it will tell you flat out it's not good good business to leverage yourself to the hilt. And I'm right. not a huge leverage 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 guy, but right. to him right. it was borrowing money against what he knew was going to be future profits. Right. Right. So, so him wanting to take, if he thought that artificial intelligence, data storage, right, and and cloud computing were the future, right. he knew he already had all the relationships. Because what most people, when people think of Dell, and because most people are just average consumers, right. they think of Dell home computers. What people don't realize is the man has contracts with every company out there, from the United States government to school right. districts to every business you can think of out there has Dell contracts where they buy computers for their employees, they right. whatever. So and then on the back he end had selling stuff. all yeah. the contacts. So right. if he was able, if he thought cloud computing and AI and data storage was the future, all he had to do was acquire that technology and right. then leverage his current relationships. You already buy computers from me. You might as right. well buy storage, buy, you know what I mean, the future technology, all that right. stuff from me. Here's a, here's a quote. Let me just say this. The results have been remarkable. Automobiles, telecommunication, energy grids, hospital Hospitals and logistics networks all have become digital businesses producing ever-increasing reams of data that needs to be managed in stores. Michael Dell now sits at the helm of the world's largest infrastructure provider for this activity. The amount of data being created in in the world is astounding. It's doubling every seven or eight months. What that means is as everything becomes digital, that's the world we continue to live in. Um, the volume of existing data that goes digital combined with the volume of data being created, it's doubling, the volume of data at, at whole is doubling mm-hmm. every seven months. 
and that's going to accelerate. That... You think with driverless cars, with everything going, what? It, and here's the other. He also sees. He saw this a decade ago. I remember right. reading an article about this a decade ago about how because they were already doing low-level data storage, right? Servers, right. Dell developing and building their own servers, right? Was a late 2000s thing. Right? right, they started developing servers, and they started building this. So, and and his idea though was, everybody was going to these bigger, big server farms. Right? What is it, Rockspace and and all these? Backspace. Everybody went to these these server farms, right. right? So that they could store all this data. Well, his idea, which is proved to be perfection yet again, was not big server farms, but small local distributed s- yeah. distribution server farms because speed microseconds is right. going to be when you're talking about driverless cars when right. you're talking about cloud computing the w- closeness microseconds we're going to measure speeds and right. stuff like that the ability for your car to decide that that's a stop sign or a pedestrian or whatever right. is going to be decided in microseconds so he already started a decade with putting these servers and this data storage in local areas instead of just okay i've got two plants in north america right and i just keep adding to them and adding to them there was somebody on this show i, I genius good looking guy single too he said something along the lines of, screw getting a single-family home for a real estate investment. Get me a server farm. I think that was me. And, but here's the other thing that I find interesting about this story. And again, it goes back to his ability to tell stories. And this is, look, if you listen to this podcast for a while, you know that I grew up dirt poor. Right. Like I I grew up not always, whether I look like it or not, knowing where my next meal is coming from or going to the chicken bin and killing the chicken that we were having for dinner. Like, I, I've, I've done that in my lifetime, right? Right. So, and then growing through, what I realized is when I was young and poor, I did not, and I had no knowledge of this at the time, but I did not have access to money either. I was right. poor. I didn't, even right. if I knew what to do with money, and I didn't at that point, right. I didn't know. I didn't have access to it. Even if I knew what to do with it, I didn't have access to it. However, when you have money, man, it just flows. And not only does it flow, but it flows super duper cheap. So when this guy, even though these numbers are large, you have to look at things astronomical. Yeah, but you have to look at it from a perspective of he's a billionaire anyway, right? Right. So to him, this is like you and me going down and getting a thousand dollar loan, and then telling you, "I'm going to charge you a dollar." Right. I'm going to charge you a point one percent interest rate. He had access to super super cheap money, and not only super cheap money, but money that didn't want anything out of him but profit. Yeah. He actually through this process when he when when he's a publicly traded company before he went private again, I right. think he was down to what twenty per one percent ownership no, or something 15. like that. You know, you're getting super cheap money. So he started out with you know when it was public, what did you say fifteen percent? I thought it was like twenty one, sixteen percent is all he owned, and now he's up to what fifty something percent. Fifty two. He's the majority stakeholder now. So he's the majority stakeholder at 52%. So he borrowed money that he's paying back. Yeah, and usually in these kind of leveraged buyout or um, these situations where big money comes in, 
they're not coming in as a as a pure silent investor. They're coming in as taking over the board. We're gonna, you know, a lot of these situations were like Carl Icahn, and Carl Icahn was against this move. Carl Icahn mm-hmm. is a ding dong. It turns out, you know, he so much money to be made here. Right. They usually have a lot more say in the direction of the company. The fact that billions of dollars in leverage flowed to Michael Dell, and all they said was. What you think is best? I would love to see the back end of this. Like, right. let's say, let's say two or three years from now, by 2025, four years from now, all of the money's paid back, right? Michael Dell still owns 50% of Dell as it looks at that point, right? In these two different companies, yada, yada. The back end are never published until they're back ended, right? Until you go public again, which I'm sure he will at some point. Right. And then you look at those numbers to go, how much interest did he pay on this? Right. Grand total, $130 billion, right? right? I guarantee you it's next to nothing. Well, because next to nothing, hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. Next to nothing, hundreds of millions of dollars. But in the if grand scheme of, of loan dollars. to, right, right, or whatever. I'm just saying they put out how many, let's just say it's $130 billion they put on the street with Michael mm-hmm. Dell. They might come back with 4 or $5 million in profit. Right. Even if it's a hundred million. Yeah. You see it's them it's a fraction of what your average yeah. everyday person pays on a, a car note or a, a home loan or a you know, whatever. Right. So the so the adage, the old adage that the you know kind of socialist lefties like to say is the rich get richer. Right? Uh-huh. And the poor get poor. Well there's a reason why the poor get poor. It's not really something we'll talk about on the show, but the, one of the reasons the rich get richer is they can do this. Absolutely. Go ahead and Go ahead and get Jamie Dimon on the phone and let her know you know $130 billion to LBO, Dell, and you're going to turn it around, and then you're going to buy EMC, and you're going to you know spin off VMware. Let him know. Just give him a call. See how far you get. Right. Well, I mean, look, the rich have leverage, right? They, they have a house that you could sell. I mean, the risk goes down. But look. They got, to take, they got something you can take. The point is, is this guy not only has done it once, but he's done it twice in two, what, two different decades, two different centuries, actually, in the 90s and then again in 2000, you know, teens. So he's done it not once as a fluke, but he's done it now twice. And in my opinion, in the next five years, he's already leveraged himself to do it a third time when it comes to at the end of the article, they're talking about... um, VMware. Virtual desktops, right? Yeah. Uh, Post-pandemic footprints is what he's talking about. 5G infrastructure and stuff like that. So he's positioned himself to be the person to go to right. for the next 20 years. Um, no, Yeah, I mean, it's it's brilliant that he's done that, right? Um, and I think there's that, that saying, you know, if you talk to wealthier people or like you know, those coaches, it's like, well, you could take all my money away and I'll have, you know, I think uh, Warren Buffet has said this. You could take all my money away and I'll get it back. It's true, though, right? Yeah. Because it's not that somebody handed you. It's So there's, there's a misconception by people who don't care for capitalism that anybody can achieve these results when well capitalized. If your daddy gives you a small loan of a million dollars, you can go out there and you can do this. The reality is, don't think so. I no, just don't you still think need knowledge. You need experience. You need and to know what you're just, doing. Not just knowledge. Not simply knowledge. You have to have foresight, and you have to have this other thing called big 
giant brass balls. If you don't have the, like, because the point is, you take somebody who doesn't understand economics or the future, doesn't have a broader understanding about a lot of things where the world could go, mm-hmm. they're a opinion, well, I'll just take this billion dollars and I'll conservatively put it into the bank or the stock market. They don't, they wouldn't think, don't go get a billion. Go get a hundred, go get 13 times that. Sorry, 130 times that. And buy this and then do that. They don't, that's not a process that they're thinking about because they lack understanding. So it's not simply just knowledge that you're going to go read in a book. It's innovation. And we innovation have a market ha- explainer podcast. Can we create? Can we create an annual brass balls award? Right? Yes. Like, can I can I send Michael mm-hmm. Dell the brass balls award? Yes. Anybody that can can just go. Hey, you don't understand this right now, right? Like he had to stand in a room with a whole bunch of investors, yeah. right? Even though he yeah. was Michael Dell, right? Ask for sixty billion dollars, right? For something that I guarantee you, no one in the room knew what, what he was talking about. They don't have a clue. Right? And ask them for $60 billion and then get it. Right. Right? And so that, that is like you said. And But again, he understood it. But the question always becomes, does he? Right? If you're that investor. Right? D- does he actually know what he's doing? And But so that, that as you Listen, quite eloquently um, put it, brass yeah. balls. Right. Big, big old brass cojones, my friend. Listen, uh, we would call that, you know, like Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. We're going to talk about Shark Tank a little bit in the episode. Mm-hmm. He say, you know, I want my money to come back with friends. And that's what, you know, he, <laughs> you, sent out your, you sent out your kids and they came back mm-hmm. with friends, man. So he, I think he did well for his investors. I think this guy really, I mean, listen, again, he pivoted the company from being a... Um, not just public company to private, but he pivoted the business being a commercial seller of hardware, mm-hmm. um, and to being, uh, you know, kind of the the go-to consumer hardware laptop, to being yeah they sell laptops right because they're already buying so much component wear and all this other stuff for their, their infrastructure. It just they have the vertical integration to do it. It makes sense. Like it's a side business though. And the although business, Obadwell doesn't stop, he'll never stop doing that. Yeah. He has the mastered business, the Ford machinery, right? Yes. The Ford assembly line of yeah. making computers better, stronger, faster, his, cheaper. His, the business that made Michael Dell a household name, that put him in a room with Jamie Dimon and all these other billionaires and people giving him money and Silver Lake Partners and all this other stuff. That name, that business, is an afterthought to his existing portfolio of virtual machines data storage. That's insane to think it's about, an though. And he'll continue to do that. Right. Because that... Compact because- is dead. Gateway gone. E-machine. All of these companies... I can start listing all the companies that you, at some point in time, in IBM ThinkPad, which is now Lenovo, which is a Chinese company. Mm-hmm. I can list off of the laptops that Sony got out of the business. Right? I can... We can sit here and list mm-hmm. off for days companies that got into, into PC... Um, component hardware business got out and couldn't survive. Michael Dell didn't just survive. Took that business and made it an afterthought to a multi-billion-dollar portfolio. And in his like, just retired, probably sitting at a massive compound somewhere in Lakeway, smoking a cigar, and goes, 
I guess I'll just go from four billion in personal net worth to forty billion. Yes. In a matter of no time. Um, and listen, four billion dollars is nothing. This it's still private jets, massive yes. yachts. Yes. It is four billion dollars is is um, enough for you to sit around and do nothing forever. Like and like nothing for your kids for forever. your kids to develop a pixie dust habit that no one it won't even make a ding. Okay. I didn't realize it until actually, and I read this as part of the article, but I just, it never occurred to me, and maybe it's because Michael Dell, not, you know, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, we've talked about these guys yeah. on here a bunch of times on this podcast because they're Dell's constantly an in the news. Yeah. Michael Dell very rarely is in the news or whatever, but if you think about it, he's the last man standing of the original right. technology guard. Right? right, he came up at the same time as Bill Gates. He came up right. at the same time Larry as Ellison. whatever the Apple guy, Apple guy's name is. Right, Steve Jobs. I, Steve, Jobs. He came up at the same time as them. Right, he's the only one still working though. Right, all Steve of them Ballmer. have gone on to their philanthropic or their yeah, you know whatever awesome. jobs or whatever. Um, yeah, he's the Ballmer only one still going though. Yeah, yeah, and he's but he's younger than a lot of those guys. He's fifty six, right? Um, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, I, but and, again, it doesn't matter, though. He's right. still working. Not only is he still working, he's still working on his original project. Right, his original company that bears his name. There is a funny video somewhere. There's a spoof video. I don't know. If, um, uh, College Humor or somebody. You know, they made a spoof trailer about the Michael Dell movie. Because, does, you know, co like, does College Humor still exist? Uh, no, like they, they I, College Humor is a great website for yeah. funny stuff before Reddit, before TikTok, yeah, before whatever. They're basically out of business, but they made a. If I can find it, I'll put it in the description. Or it could be funny or die too. <clears throat> what I think is hilarious. It's it's just like you know how they made that movie about. They made four movies about um, Bleed Yobs or whatever mm -hmm. the Apple yeah, guy yeah, is. Yeah. Um, and they made you know, and this was just like, all right. Now move the E sideways. That's the logo. You know, like it was <laughs> really like, funny. E exactly. Let's just close with this. You're a big man. You're, you know, 50, whatever. You're uh, you're 49 years old. You got $4 billion off of big man computers. Uh-huh. Are you bothering to do anything with your, I mean, are you picking up your phone and going, ugh, I'll buy the company out of the public, you know, and then I'll <laughs> we'll leverage ourselves to the hills. and Or are you just... I'm on vacation. Are you no, and Mrs. I'll, the Big I'll, Man just I, me like me like Michael Dell? I will work forever, right? So I I, I just I, I and I agree with you. And that's part of the article here is they ask him like, look, are you going to check out at some point and just right. go do the the Bill Gates thing, thing? Go do the whatever. And look, him and his wife here in Austin, they they own Dell Children. They built Dell Children's Hospital here in Austin. Yeah. They they are big philanthrop philanthropic. Not only from a kid standpoint, they they what the their think tank for bringing technology to Texas is one of the biggest in the United States. It's in one LA. of the reasons that technology has been coming here for twenty years is because they invest directly right. in a think tank of some sort to help right. technologies here in Austin, Texas, and stuff like that. So they do these things. But Michael Dell, it seems like at least according to this article, they asked him point blank. I mean, look, are you going to do this, go public again, and then go right off into the sunset? And he's like, look, I just don't think that's me. He's like, I think it, I'd be bored. I'd get lonely. He's like, I'd be depressed, right? His exact words were something along the lines of, well, my twins are off to college, so there's really nothing to do at the house anymore. <laughs> well, and that, so to me, the same thing, 
right? Let me you tell know you what I mean? So not four billion, not one billion, a hundred million. I'll figure out how to. I can figure out how to use up the time. All okay. I'm saying is you're going to continue to do this podcast contractually, regardless of your net see worth. You we'll keep putting, adding things to the contract. I'm going to add that to the contract. Regardless of either our net worth, you'll continue to do this podcast for yeah, we'll see about two that. hours a week. So, um, Before we keep going, we have, a new, we have another story, uh, and it's sponsored by our friends over at Acre Gold. Meet the new store of value. It's the same as the old store of value. Timeless, thoughtfully designed, and guaranteed retained value in a way your cash never will. 2.5 grams of Acre Gold's gold uh, bars is the perfect amount of gold for the first-time gold buyer or the seasoned investor. Click the link down in the description. You can get your subscription started. They have low-cost subscriptions. Pay a little bit of money up front. Then when you accumulate enough, they actually just send you 2.5 grams very nice. I love it. All right, what do we got next? So, uh, Ghost Kitchens, which was a story that we did uh, at the beginning of... Ooh, a while back. while back. They're growing. Um, I'm seeing Imagine them that. Pop we up. called it. That's, yeah, always, that's what I'm saying. Dude, we first. called it. Our good friends over at Kroger, which... In Central Texans, we don't really have Kroger here, right? No, North Texas has them. Yeah, Dallas, Dallas DFW it. area, no. right? But no, right. Central Texas. We're Texas. We're, we're Central yeah. Texas is the like. So Texas is the most American uh, state in the union, and I refer to it as a country because it is. Um, <laughs> and also, like the Central Texas area is the most like middle finger. We're special part <laughs> of like you know. It really is. Yeah, I mean Beaumont. Beaumont has its own thing going on, but that's Beaumont. Like that's, but Central Texas is like no no we're the better Texas right yeah mm-hmm. um so that's why we don't have a Kroger we only have Heed um H E B but um so Kroger go and check not- out if you, if you're a fan of this show you'd definitely be a fan of your mom's house podcast if you haven't ever checked that out go check that out it's a comedy podcast um. Uh, moved and to Austin. They moved to Austin not too long ago, and on one of their most recent uh, episodes, I mean, she got she was Injured fell down the stairs or something like that or whatever. But she tells a story about the first time she went to H E B here right. in Austin, and she's like, "Oh my God, this is what a grocery store is supposed to be like." Like yeah. she all about it or whatever. People love their H E B, and the part about this ghost kitchen in Kroger, H E B would be the store in Central Texas if right. this. And H E B already has like they make fresh sushi. You know what I mean? And and they have a restaurant inside anyway. But if they were to partner, this would be a brilliant thing. They would be the one here in Central Texas if it was going to happen that it would happen with. Right. And here's the interesting part: Um, Kitchen United is the company that owns Ghost Kitchen, Mm -hmm. and Kroger has partnered with them to build Ghost Kitchens into Kroger's. Now we talked about. Ghost Kitchens before we talked about Kroger because Kroger has partnered with a company overseas, I think British, called Okada, which is avocado without the A. And they are, um, they have built a completely delivery only right. grocery infrastructure. What I love about Kroger is they are an ancient grocery selling dry goods is a ancient business. Yes. This is old as time. It's not the world's oldest business because that's Mary Magdalenism, <laughs> but it's not. It's well, old. and Kroger is an ancient name. 
in right. the market business. It is a heritage brand, if you'd want to call it that, right? It is the like when people are like they're like I'm going to Publix. I've never heard of Publix, but I'm not going yeah. to any store with an X in the name. As well, as a rule. Um, so what they're doing here, and what I love about Kroger, again, not as someone who's ever going to walk into a Kroger at any time soon in his life, right? I love the fact that they're trying to innovate. I love the fact that they're looking at the future and going, some, some millennial that's wearing a ski cap in July in mm -hmm. Florida is going to write an app, and it's going to kill our business. And we need to be ahead of the curve here. So they partner with Okado and they go, hey, wait, you guys are just going to take a bunch of produce, season it lightly, and sell it for a 50% markup? Just do it in our backyard here. Like, we have best space. Well, and look, and I'll say this really quickly because, obviously, if you haven't seen the Ghost Kitchen episode we did for a while back, it's essentially where a company comes in, sets up a kitchen, a generic back restaurant, right, a kitchen, and then they'll they there are a couple of different ways to do it, but basically license food from local restaurants, right? Your 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 name fill in blank Mexican food restaurant, fill in blank generic Italian restaurant, I mean, whatever. They make it all in the same kitchen, right? And then it goes out typically in delivery. And this obviously got popular in the last eighteen months when people couldn't go in and eat inside and right. stuff like that. It gained in popularity. That's where celebrities like YouTuber Mr. Beast came out with Mr. Beast Burgers. Um, and Guy Fieri had a... Yeah, uh, Gordon Ramsay. A bunch of these big all, chefs have done these. Yeah. And, and as a side note about Ghost Kitchen, a bunch of companies that are, like, they just have the infrastructure, but nobody would ever order takeout from them, mm -hmm. have created a, like, just a white label brand where they just take their existing product, just people at something different. And one of them for Chili's is just wings. Chili's yeah. will sell you because I look because I saw this on one of the apps. Just wings. I've never heard of that place. I want to try it. And I look up the address on Google Maps, and it's a freaking Chili's, man. Yep. I was like, and what's really funny is, um, uh, Chuck E. Cheese did this with pizza. Right. Okay. Chuck E. Cheese's. Yeah. Came up with their own piece. It's hilarious. So, what? But it's what a brilliant idea. I guarantee yes. you, Kroger, when they open this kitchen, I guarantee you that part of the negotiation and part of the thing, everything that goes into the kitchen is from the grocery store. They're purchasing from the grocery store itself. So, Kroger gets to literally create, if I've got a Kroger in right here down the street in Cedar Park, Kroger created a whole other line of revenue for that restaurant. And, I mean, for that Kroger, right? right. Like, I mean, so the, uh, the 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 Wahlberg brothers own a burger franchise called Wahlburgers, and in the Midwest we had a um, that is awful, That's chain, an awful, yeah, awful, no. awful name. But go and ahead. The burgers are. It doesn't matter if people buy them. I know. So they have one of the Mall of America, which is my hometown, hometown, same city as where mm -hmm. I was born and raised. Um, I went there last time I was, when's the last time I walked into a mall, but, you know, 2018 or something maybe. Not, right. Not great. They partnered with a grocery store called Hy-Vee, which is based out of Iowa. It's all over the Midwest. And that was a very successful That's model for them. That's a name for a restaurant. That is like a slang term from the 80s for not a great yeah, thing. But anyway, go ahead. hy or Wahlburgers? No, Hy-Vee. 
I'm just saying. Can't horrible name for a grocery them. store, but go ahead. Yeah, it, it is. A, but so the future of grocery retail seems to be innovative, right? It's it's prepared foods, not like when I used to walk into a grocery Like when I was in college or high school, my buddies and I would walk into the grocery store. Yeah, like there's the deli potato salad, but. Well, but you go where you die, right? You know, the deli counter was their only real, right? And that's where you always found this supermarket food, fried burritos, potato salad, whatever, was over at their deli counter, right? You know what I mean? And it was probably high-marked-up food, right, that they could make a profit off of and keep warm all day. But but this is a way, like you just said, either growing or you're dying. So a, a company like Kroger, which, look, supermarkets have had it rough for a while. Right? right. I mean, with it's more competition, they can't really go up on prices a whole lot every other week like a lot of other places can do because people still want to spend 39 cents a pound on bananas. If you go to 49 cents, they throw a crazy, you know what I mean, fit. So right. so you they had a hard run at it. When it comes to restaurant infrastructure, there's tons of regulation. You have a commercial mm-hmm. kitchen, there's tons of regulation. And if you are a Kroger, you're a whatever already have the infrastructure there right yep i'm sure already, they're very similar guidelines right, right. and you of how things vertical. are handled exactly and you have vertical integration is you're already buying you're already going to the suppliers that sell food and maybe you're correct maybe you're not i'm, I'm just pitballing here but usually food that's sold is a gross to, to grocery versus food that's sold prepared different suppliers right but I'm sure they already have the supply, right? I'm so, sure. Yeah, because they white label a bunch of stuff with Kroger's brand, whatever that is. I don't know what it right. is. So I'm just saying that they already have they have the vertical integration. They have the distribution. They already have the, the regulatory part completed because they have prepared foods, which means they have to have an infrastructure to monitor the quality of that. Mm. Why wouldn't they do this, right? Yeah, you, when you put it in that light... Sometimes in business, you look at something and go, why didn't this happen a long time ago? Like, this seems like to me, on this side of this happening, why wasn't there a grocery store attached to every, or why wasn't there a restaurant attached to every grocery store in America? Like, I I don't, like, why? Why? And and even in strip centers where you say, okay, there's a Mexican food restaurant in the same strip center as Kroger, they're ordering their food from someone else. Why aren't they ordering it from Kroger? Right. Like, well, and because you know, you know where I used to live, Minnesota, there's one. That's it. There are the. It's called Super Value, and they're basically the distributor for most all of grocery in the Midwest, and they also do a lot of restaurants. So it's like, well, yeah, I, I, so, I, it would, it would not surprise me if this is a trend that catches on, and you see more and more, not just Kroger's, but in general, more. Uh, uh, grocery stores That's, taking yeah. on these kind of relationships right. or developing their own instead of developing a, a relationship with a ghost kitchen just just creating it themselves an H-E-B brand would be something that would do something like that like we're going to create we're going to remodel right. our stores right. and put in a restaurant no, if you go to the H-E-B in Mueller which is kind of the north it's north of downtown Austin um, it's hipstery it's gross, mm-hmm. but it's hipstery. <laughs> um, that H E B is is always popping. 
They got live music yeah. outside, which gives me a migraine. It's the, it's the worst. Um, but they have all sorts of food, different, you know, they have, because again, the vertical integration here of, hey, we already have the stuff here, right? And the, the, the opportunity to sell the stuff to people, because you're going to buy it prepared and then go, hey, I like this bun. Where do you guys have this bun? I like these, you know what I'm saying? Like, because I right. bought a, a brisket sandwich at that place before. Like these buns are good. I bought them. I bought a pack of them. Mm -hmm. So they made money on me buying it prepared, and then they made money on me. It's the same reason they give samples, right? Right. So exactly. I think that you know, as the market continues to change, I think more and more people are going to go. More and more industry is going to go. We should we should collude rather than compete. Why would we mm -hmm. compete with each other? Why would we have a restaurant here and a thing here when we can just collude? Right, and we can say, I "Hey, agree. let us have the space in your whatever." Right. Um, I know Walmart, Walmart's relationship with the various restaurants they've had in there has not been great. Oh, McDonald's is in some of them, and they're leaving. Same with Subway, and I think it'll be interesting to see if a company like Walmart, with its massive reach, they're starting a bank, is something that we've covered here on the show before. Wouldn't it be interesting if Walmart said, "Yeah, you guys can put out." Kitchen in our facilities, you know. I, I think the partnerships with like Walmart, and McDonald's, and I think it's Walmart and Burger King one year, or whatever. I think the problem with those partnerships is it was it was doomed from the start because it was never a real McDonald's. It was always right. a limited menu. It was a small area. There was ne it was never well kept. Right. I, I never walked into a Walmart that had a McDonald's and thought, "Oh my God, that's a clean McDonald's." Like it, because the, I never I, I walked the, into. I never walked into a Walmart that had a McDonald's because I have too much net worth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? I know. I think, I, the, I think the partnerships were doomed from the get because people weren't happy with the product because the product wasn't what they expected, right? I'm just saying I've always lived in ritzy parts of towns where the Walmarts have subways in them because of, you know, white women on diets. But uh, hey, one of my first real jobs was at a Kmart that had a Little Caesars in it before okay. they left Texas the first time and then came back. Right. It, that was back when the uh, remember the Bigfoot, the big square pepper. You don't remember the Bigfoot? Like it was a giant rectangular pizza. Oh, I remember now. You know, and then they would anyway. Point is, it was good. That's all I'm saying. Well, now we know why you're the big man and I'm the medium person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're the big man, and I'm the medium male. Uh, uh, uh huh. In Texas, I am a medium. So, uh, a medium. Yeah. So I just again, they listened to the market. They looked at the market, just like our last story, and said, "Hey, this is going to be a thing. Why wouldn't we participate? Why wouldn't we be the leader in delivery, delivery only grocery, delivery only prepared foods? Why wouldn't we have a ghost kitchen? It's a genius. So hey." And with the, the partnership, that what risk? Yeah. With the partnership, I guarantee the partnership footage. is probably that, yeah, some square footage that they could probably do without anyway. Because we talked about, again, on a previous podcast, about how grocery stores are going to look very different in the next decade. They're going to have more. If they keep the same square footage they have now, they're going to have to use it differently. So exactly. why not block off? They've got the square footage to, to lose. Right. Is what we're saying. Because the warehouse model in grocery stores is coming. Dead. Dead. Yeah. I mean, no, like, 
I think the big box grocery yeah. store is dead. I think it's going to go smaller. I think that's the only way they survive. Well, we I talked about it, but yeah. they've got these big stores, right? We talked about it, where inside grocery stores in the next decade are going right. to look more like Costco than they do right now. Right. Big boxes on shelves because 90% of the people that are shopping in aren't shopping in. They're personal shoppers like they are now right. when you order okay. H-E-B curbside. So, okay, I'm going to make a, uh, a – yeah, so I think when it comes to people going into a store, I think most groceries – like people who actually walk into a physical – it's going to look like an Aldi. We don't really have Aldi in Texas, like a Trader Joe's. But I think, like, that's the future of people, actual, what I would call actual retailing. Yeah. Grocery. And after that, you're right. It's going to be not not in HEB. There's two or three in Park that I can think of, right? Right. Or, dude, um, it's going to be two. And you're going to just pull up to one of them and some, uh, you know, 14-year-old with pimples is really... I'm sorry, we didn't get the right crackers. That's what's. Hey, that's what happens to me now. That's how I. <laughs> I can't tell you the last time I went inside. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, but that's that's all. You know, just tip of the hat to, to people for being smart. Yeah, no, good on them. Absolutely good on them. Yeah. I hope it works out for them. So do I, and I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we see them acquire some of the smaller chains and just. You know, roll it up as a roll-up strategy because they'll have this infrastructure that they can start deploying into these chains. Um, it's chains that they buy that where where Kroger's aren't. But I, I'm trying to think like I've I've been to Arizona. I know they got Kroger there. Michigan's got Kroger. Every, every state I've ever been to or visited has a Kroger. So I'm just yeah. No, I I think at the very least in the Midwest, right? I mean they're big. So I I think you're gonna see a lot of uh, your grocery change at least watch it. Right, which is what businesses do. They watch each other and then they copy each other things that work. So So when I lived in Minnesota, the the big grocery chain there was Cub, C U B. So when I moved to Texas and they said and they got the same colors, both red. I moved to moved to Austin and they're like, Yeah, go down to the because when I was moving into the apartment when mm-hmm. I first signed the lease, like I just flew down here and just picked a place and they're like, Yeah, we need a we need a cashier's check. Like, well you got onto the H E B like the what now? <laughs> Who's the, a what? The what now? And they're like the grocery store. So I go over there. I'm like H E B C U B. This is just like where I just came from here. <laughs> um, I could see them buying a cub, right? Because that's like that is a that's mm-hmm. obviously just the one I have personal experience with. That is one chain that they could acquire when they're not in that market, anymore, right? They right. could bring a model like this place. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we should move on to our next story. But first, I want to tell you about the yep. sponsor for the next story. It's Big Man Gear. This guy's idea, a merchandising brand. Every corny, corny dad joke on a T-shirt, Amazon Prime. So you just order it on Amazon Prime with all your other stuff. They just ship it to your house. Bigmangear.com will take you right to the store. If I was you, I'd go check it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's our next story, Danny? Next uh, story. We, got, we are all Austin heavy today, aren't we? Totally. Um, my good friend, Mark Cuban. Invested in a company on Shark Tank, if you don't know, it's a TV show, um, uh, called Eternava. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. This business is ill. What this company does is... No, Danny, no. They take no. the ashes of your loved no. ones. No, Danny. <laughs> take that joke back. It's wrong. It's wrong. And I'm the people out there 
that are listening to this know I, it's wrong once you tell them what this is. What a turnover does, and this is a brilliant, real, I mean, it pisses me off how smart this. Yeah, so and how simple. Yeah. If you're unfamiliar with the diamond industry, the last five years, really about eight to five years, there's been a revolution called cultured diamonds or lab-grown diamonds. Mm-hmm. Now, these aren't cubic zirconia. So this isn't diamondique or whatever weird thing from QVC. Right. This is an actual diamond. Right. So at the birth of the industry, at the birth of this, jewelers were getting fooled. Because somebody would right. bring in a cultured stone, which they usually bring in about 20 to 30% less than a, than a diamond that comes out of the ground, which... You're out there trying to buy a diamond for your girlfriend. First of all, stop being a simp. Be a pimp. Secondly, don't buy her a diamond. Uh, buy yourself a Rolex instead. Thirdly, why would you buy her a diamond that came out of the ground when you could go buy a cultured stone? She's Nobody's going to know the difference. But you, cultured, by the way, this is a grown diamond. Yeah. It is not manufactured. Like CZs are manufactured to right. look like a diamond. Right. This... From a molecular standpoint, they grow is a, a diamond grown diamond, much like right. 99% of pearls that you get in today's world, right? right. We they don't go out and clams and pull pearls and, and do... Well, no, we, we grow pearls the way that clams grow pearls, right? right. In a right. lab, and they look beautiful, and they can make colors. This and, is the same thing. They can grow you a diamond and right. cultivate it, as you said, but literally grow... I think the only thing, and because it is a growth, right? And, of course, diamonds are carbon, right? You should in school learn how diamonds are made, pressure from the earth, carbon, right? right? The pressure creates a diamond, yada, yada. We all learned that in high school, right? Which is why we mine and dig for diamonds and stuff like that. The point, though, is is in this case, they they are using a lab to cultivate a diamond. I think the biggest drawback to this is that it takes seven months. Right, you, you because look, and we're all carbon-based life forms. Again, you should have learned that in military biology. That's your biology. opinion. I'm a lizard person. I'm we a are all carbon-based life forms. So, as cremation has increased in popularity, right? That's actually the story behind this company. Is the lady that started this had a friend that passed away, didn't have much family, was cremated. It's kind of. From what I got out of the story, she separated her ashes in three ways, sent one to distant family and one to her friend, yeah. right? And her friend was kind of looking, what am I going to do with these ashes? Right. And happened to sit down and have dinner with a guy that was actually growing diamonds, diamonds. and was like, you, you realize that ashes are mostly carbon. Carbon, yeah. And I can make you a diamond. A diamond. And she's like, what? You can what? And they can do it from your hair. They can do it from your pet. Right. So if you have a loved one that passes and they're not being cremated, you can take parts of their diamond. Now, the reason this is ultra generoso, brilliant business, is because when it comes to diamonds, the markup is ungodly. Right? Unbelievable. Because it is a vertically, not just vertically integrated, one company controls the diamond industry. The beers industry, the beers market, yeah. In <clears throat> so some fashion point. or form. So, the markup on diamonds is ungodly. It's not really the pre- a precious stone in the way that a ruby or whatever is. It's all branding. 
This is an exercise in superb branding. And God bless 100%. Well, and and look, Jim Stones is that way entirely, right? I mean, it, it much like diamonds, much like artwork and stuff like that, um, have the same mobster Art- background, oh. right? Oh, okay. Like they, they use an exchange. There's a reason that diamonds are a currency worldwide and right. and can and are bought and sold on, on certain markets and used as value. But it's got the same kind of kind of mobster background as that's what when you talk about value, right? I right. mean the markup is so huge, controlled by a company. You talk about monopolies. Right. De Beers has some way or form to control this. And then you add on top of it the what do you call it? Societal around diamonds and diamonds being a best friend and and weddings and all of this. You add on top of that. Yeah. And so when you kind of add up the the two, the the Venn diagram that Eternova lives in, diamonds, high, high aggressive margin industry. Yep. Then loss. Personal loss. Mm-hmm. Your pet. Right? People I mean, I'm I love pets. I like animals, but I think some people are insane when it comes to their animals. Like little Well, but they spend a crap ton of money on animals, I'm right? Saying. Um so, but people you... who lack you know, people aren't getting married, they're not having kids at the same rate they used to. So your pet and, and listen I go on Tinder and I see a single woman and she says <clears throat> her parent or dog mom dead dead to me you're dead to me you're insane <laughs> but look I love there's a lot of animals. people though again that's and growing market in the last decade right so they can take your pets they can take the ashes of your loved ones the cross section of these two and um, you know again Kevin O'Leary um, a co-star on Shark Tank with Mark Cuban always says people pay an unreasonable multiple for their weddings. They just don't budget for their weddings and funerals. They'll spend any amount of money. So when you take a high margin industry where there isn't a lot of logic, you start explaining. I've, I've watched my male friends, you know, I watched one of them get married and wife was like, well, a ring is an investment. No, it's not. No, it's not. If you want a ring, I it'll hate get you that a nice statement. Ring. I hate it. I hate that statement. It's a lie being told by everyone. Not an investment. It's going to go down in value, and it's barely going to keep pace with inflation. It wasn't worth the value in the first place. Like, right. anyway, don't get me on that soapbox. But weddings is, in general, I right. uh, there. It's an unreasonable amount of money people spend. Take those two things, right, and you. I'm the synergy where you're going to take somebody's, you know, and I, two years ago, lost someone very close to me, my older sister. And unfortunately, I didn't and wouldn't have thought to and would have felt really weird about trying to get a lock of her hair after she passed. Sure. But it is absolutely something I would have done to make her daughter's two diamond rings out of her, you know, remains. Mm-hmm. Because that's like they can, I mean, that is... Well, that one of the things they've done here in Central Texas that I think, it, it, which is why they just went through another round of funding and raised, what, $10 million right. or whatever. This is their, I think, third round of funding I actually since um, Shark Tank or something like that, and they continue to make money. One of the things they've done here in Central Texas, and I know this personally because I saw their brochures 
and information when my father-in-law passed away not too terribly long ago at the funeral home so they've partnered with funeral homes and i'm sure they give them some kind of kickback or whatever but they've partnered with funeral homes so you just said well it would feel really weird getting a lock of hair funeral homes do all that stuff for you if there's nothing right so if they partner with funeral homes and here's what they want the money for right? right right now they provide a service right send us ashes send us hair we'll make a diamond out of it what they want to make it is an experience that's what they want to make it they want to get you involved from a standpoint look you're talking about again weddings funerals people this process helps people grieve it helps people it an experience makes people involved and happier i'll give you an example and it said this in the article for example if you can for a price right come down to the showroom floor of this place right with the ashes you're dropping off the ashes of your loved one and you can press a button or pull a lever and that starts the process right you pay it's an experience it's a it's a i was involved i start you see what i'm saying that's what they're planning to do at least what they say they're planning to do with this money is they're trying to create an experience through the process which i think is important because it's seven to nine months long right i guess that's fair right you might not feel like you have a sense of ownership over the thing that's happening i don't know about you if this has ever happened to you i ordered something on amazon and two days later, when it showed up at my neighbor's house, didn't show up to my house, I didn't notice because I forgot that I ordered it. Well, no, it, absolutely. And then you figure seven to nine months, okay, you've been grieving, you're grieving, you're grieving, you go on with your life a little bit, and then all of a sudden you get a package in the mail, and it's a diamond made from your dead father. And, I mean, that that sounds horrifying to me. I mean, yeah. it's nice and it's sad, but how does that not, like, PTSD? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see them like. So I, I, I get that they're trying to make it a process so that it's not so alarming, right? So, but, so, but I again, that to me is the biggest drawback of this. It's, it's a seven to nine month process. So $3,000 though for a, in the grand scheme of rings is not a lot of money. Not a crazy amount of money. For what it's doing, right? So I, I think it's a good price point. Again, the seven to nine months. That's If it, anything kills it, that's what will kill it. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the that's the only thing that for me it's like I don't want to be reminded of again, but at the same time, you bothered to do this, bothered to engage with this process, spend this volume of money on something. <clears throat> it makes me feel like maybe you're not you're not you're this is going to be a lengthier grieving process for you. You know? I, I also felt at the time, again, my experience, not anybody else's, and they've done over 1,500 of these, right, from 1,000 different customers, 40% of their business is pets or whatever. At the time, my wife and I talked about this. She saw the flyer, and at the at your very first thought or her very first thought was, that sounds really cool, right, or whatever, but then the more we talked about it, the more kind of creeped out she got. Does that make sense? And I like wonder how sounds... many. I wonder how many people in the in the throes of their grief buy the ring and then go, I don't exactly want to walk around with my passed away father's hair. 
you know? Right, well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, so, and that kind of came around, and which is why we didn't do anything, right? Ultimately, we didn't do anything with it. So, at least that was my experience with it, right? So, so and that's all I can say, you know, say for, but I, I would think at least some people would go through that, is all right. I'm saying. No, and I, I like the, I like the concept. They made a comment in this article that said people don't want traditional funerals anymore. I think obviously you're to get into the masses where is what you want to be, right? This is not a reoccurring thing. It's a, right. a one-shot deal. You're going to have to make it if you want to get to n your numbers, your masses. Right. You're, you're going to have to not make comments like that, right? You're going to have to make it part of a process where they're being cremated or where they're being buried, whether they're whatever it may be you're just gonna have to say look this is an addition to instead of instead of well i guess it's not true i mean because my instructions uh, in my living will is upon my death i'm cremated my ashes are supposed to be split up into three um two of the locations are undisclosed where my ashes will be spread and the other one is galveston very nice very yeah. nice before we get into this next story, I want to tell you about a new sponsor to our show, Powerhouse Drones. If you're interested in getting into drones, powerhousedrones.com teach you all about what drones to buy and where to get started with drones. Very nice. I like it. Powerhousedrones.com. New you. sponsors? I like new sponsors. Yeah. All right. But what's our last story of the day? It's my company, so. Hey, still, hey, I like it. Yep. Drones For this are next cool. one. This next one is a story that is really near and dear to my heart. It's a non-story story, Danny. It's not a non-story story. Danny has to have a non-story story. Go ahead, explain to them what the story is so I can tell you why it's a non-story. Okay. If you're a subscriber to Zoom, which we are on this podcast, we use the... Zoom is the categorically stupidest piece of software. I have to put in that so many passwords. True. I have to put in 50 passwords... I have to do all this stuff. And on this podcast alone, which you'll notice is a bunch of hard cuts because the software randomly kept conking out every four to seven minutes. You know, Probably do a hard due reset. to user error on Danny's side, but go ahead. No, no I'm a technology whiz. I'm a sure guru. I'm the senior advisor of technology to university. I started just gives the university. Titles, folks. That's correct. And I just let it slide because it's easier than dealing with them. Go ahead. Um, This... So people have broken into Zoom calls and all that other stuff. Zoom had to pay an $85 million settlement over Zoom. can't say the one word. Um, oh, okay. I, you can't. I, I wasn't well, sure. I, so I, I can say it, but I don't want to find out. Everybody out there, look, everybody no out there watching this podcast knew that there was, what, a month, a couple of months last year right. that right. people – logging into zoom you know company zooms and right. goofing around showing bad videos or right. making fun of people or saying stupid things it was a thing for a quick minute right like right. a month month and a half or whatever right right some of those companies got together and turned around and sued zoom and said two things one we don't think you're living up to your privacy you know things promise, uh, promise and this is happening Right? What's right. going on with the security? Now, when I say it's a non-story story, one, this lawsuit was never going to succeed. Right. 
Okay, Zoom is protected just like Facebook's protected, just like all these other social media type of platforms is out there protected under that Article 230 that everybody's up up in arms about. So it was never going to go through. Two, in this settlement, Zoom, like a lot of lawsuits when they end and people just write somebody a check, is not culpable for any... They're they're basically saying, look, we don't want to deal with this anymore. They're not admitting to anything. So the non-story aspect of the story is the fact that they haven't admitted to anything. They're not held liable for anything. And the party, other party in the matter who brought who brought the who brought the suit to begin with agrees that they're not like that's part of the agreement of taking the settlement. Right. They got $85 million. But let, let, let's do the math though, right? Yeah. So these companies that filed the lawsuit during last year wrote checks in totality to Zoom for $1.3 billion. Right. So, you know, the eight, $85 They gave them an $85 million refund. Yeah. But that mean nothing. So it's, is it a story? No. Is Zoom Here's culpable why. in anything? Did they really so, – actually, did they do anything wrong? Because from what I remember of the stories – now, I probably should have gone back and pulled up those stories, but I really didn't because I was kind of flighting on this one. The point, though, is if I remember from those stories back then, the stories were these were companies not using Zoom's privacy settings properly and right. setting up things like simple passwords for meetings. So somebody, so a hacker that got into your Zoom list just was able to just enter and leave any meeting they felt like. So the reason I uh, included the story is because I hate Zoom. I know you do, and so I we get record, that, which is why we, you, you know. Yeah, so we record this podcast over Zoom, and I believe Zoom belongs, I, I'm not Catholic, and I never was really Catholic, so like the third or fourth ring of hell, I don't know how the rings of hell work. I'm Protestant. And so we just have one. It's a unilevel. It's just, it's a rambler. Hell for us is a rambler. But so I don't know, but this is where Zoom belongs. Um, I hate Zoom. I hate that I have to, you know, like the big man is all constantly complaining that I'm late. I'm on time. I am on time. I'm set up. I'm ready to go. I'm only late because I've spent half an hour putting in passwords, room codes. Okay, that is I, user like, error. That is, I I'm have fine. purchased cars. I'm ready to easier. go at the time of recording. I am. So if I have to do the same thing you do and more, right. because right. Danny says he's all these things, but I'm actually in charge of recording with it, editing it. And, you know. yeah. But anyway, so I do all of that, but somehow I'm still on time. Right. Well, you you really got nothing going on over at your place, so you're not yeah, really busy. I'm, sure. I'm busy. I'm up. I am a th- I'm a business owner with thriving opportunities that I'm constantly taking advantage of. But what is interesting about this is that it proves that, like, I mean, Zoom was the kind of golden child of the last 18 months of the right. Panini, right? Zoom came out with perhaps one of the biggest wins because, like, in the, in the same way that my mom will say, well, she FaceTimed with my, with my nephew, I'll go, mm-hmm. my sister doesn't have an Apple yeah. phone. Right. So she, you can't face them. Somebody like, yeah, we'll just do a Zoom meeting. And they don't, it, it's the Kleenex. They don't mean Zoom. Exa- no, absolutely. We're, no, we're using it because. But it is what it is. That's why right. we use it for this podcast is it's simple to use. It's, it's not it's, simple to use. It is simple to use. No. It, I use, look, I've done, again, a, I did another, I did an interview on a podcast. You can go find it. It's a, a JV adulting. We logged in on StreamYard. It took two seconds. I didn't have to throw in, like, 
I got to give this thing my social security number, a thumbprint, a blood sample. It needs a like you know a lock of Stream my yard hair. Streamyard is a completely different type of platform, but right. all right. So I use Jitsi for any meeting that I have with anybody. I use Jitsi, which is awful. Great. Awful, 100% awful. See, this is is where Danny and I get into it on when we talk about Market Explainer and how Danny and I are different. Is Danny like any just name anything that is mainstream? Oh, that's horrible, that's awful. That is not like he doesn't just it's like dealing with okay. Wait, hold on, give them an example that isn't Jitsi and Zoom. Uh, there you go. Okay, I'm sorry. Being put on yeah. the spot. I there you had go. Re- I knew you were going to pull it out like that. There it's, you go. Again, I've yeah. referenced it's like being married before. It's like when your wife says, give me one married. example yeah, of exactly. blah, 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 blah. And you're like, I don't freaking care that much. Why would yeah. I do it? This is what Danny does to me on the podcast, right? <laughs> That's not what I do. It's fine. Have. The point is, I is enlighten if you and say I entertain. You like it, Danny will say it's horrible. If you no. say it's easy, Danny will say it's hard. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's a it's a can't win battle. But all and right. And in between all of this, by the way, his whole long rant about how I hate everything, we had to stop using Zoom. We had to disconnect, and I had to reboot it twice. Again. Just like freezing. my wife, after 20-something years, picks right. very good times to complain about things. Like, it's like she's waiting. Waiting yeah. for that one moment where her point is the most valid. That's right. what you're doing right now. So, well, good on saying, you, Danny, for picking a great opportunity to pick a story no, when we on. happen to I, be having a problem. I did not pick a great time to have a story. I, I curate these stories days in advance. Okay. Today just happened to be a day where the the the, the, the road rose to meet us. Well, you should where, you should go play the lottery today. Uh, I play yeah, every week because it is your lucky day, my friend. Well, I think that you know, in spite and in you know, because of all of our various technology issues, we are going to call it a show a little earlier mm-hmm. than usual. We do have a lot more things to say, but uh, for that reason, we are going to cut it loose. I mean, I just want to leave everybody with this word of wisdom here from me to you. Because you know, if, if you read the subtitles of one season of any Netflix show, it is the exact same thing as reading a book. No. It is. No, it's not, Danny. Yeah. I read four to five books a month. <laughs> we'll see you next time, folks. If we're still here.